Welcome to the Sunday Morning Message with Pastor Nick Stringer, brought to you from Creekside Church in Brookville, Indiana. Creekside Church, where the Spirit flows. Cameron read to you from Nehemiah chapter 9. That's where we're going to camp out today. And that's where our scripture, our message is going to come from. And today's message is titled, We Will Worship the Lord Our God. Amen. We will worship the Lord our God. We continue our series, The New Exodus. This is message two of this series. Next week, we're going to wrap it up with the third and final message. And so today, what we're going to focus on is the man, Nehemiah. Last week, we talked about Ezra. Today, we're going to talk about Nehemiah and what he did to lead his people to worship God and how they were able to overcome adversity in their lives because of their worship in God. So today's principle is this. You're going to want to write this down or underline it on your note card there. It says this, prioritizing worship of God refreshes our heart and our spirit. And we can apply that to our lives by making a commitment to regularly worshiping God. We need regular worship of God in order for our heart and soul to be refreshed in order to overcome the adversity that we're going to face in this life. So before we get into this, let me set the stage and give you a little bit of background information of what's going on here. So we talked about Ezra and we talked about the captives that came out of Babylon and returned back to Jerusalem in order to build, rebuild the temple and to establish temple worship. Remember the Babylonians had destroyed Jerusalem and they had led the Israelites out of Jerusalem and into Babylon where they had been captive for all those years. They were allowed to return. They restored the temple worship. Now... We're 70 years after that, 70 years after temple worship has been restored, the man Nehemiah has been given direction from King Artaxerxes, who was a Persian king. Now, the Persians were the dominant force of the time. They had just defeated the Babylonians. So they were the dominant power of the time. And Nehemiah, very interestingly, was the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. Now, a cupbearer has a very interesting job. He tests all the drink and the food before it's given to the king. In case anybody wants to try and poison the king, he has to sample it beforehand. How would you like to have that job? Well, king, sign me up. You know who? Mm, you don't want that one. Right? So that was Nehemiah's job. Now, this type of job would lend him to have a lot of respect with the king. So the king had a lot of favor and a lot of respect. And a lot of trust in Nehemiah. This is the man who samples everything that goes into my mouth and into my body before I take it. Right? So God had favor upon them both and stirred their hearts and their minds. Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, said, yes, Nehemiah, you can go back to Jerusalem. You can lead another wave of captives back home and you can begin to build the city walls back up of the destroyed city. And that's what they wanted. They wanted a home. They wanted to go back home. But before they could really encamp back home, they needed to protect themselves from the enemy. So they had to rebuild those city walls. And that's what Nehemiah was leading the people to do, was to rebuild the city walls. And while they were doing this, they faced an incredible amount of adversity. They were ridiculed. 
they were discouraged and they had violence threatened against them because the enemies of God's people did not want Jerusalem to be rebuilt again because they knew that when that happened, God would be with them. And if God is with them, then that meant trouble for them. You know, it's like that with us too. When God is with us, if God is for us, who can be against us? We shall not fear man. Why should we fear a man? Because he can only kill the body, but we should fear the one who can kill the body and the soul, and that's God. So man cannot cause us to fear, can he? No, he cannot. We are scared of no man. And so Nehemiah was an excellent leader. He told his people, he said, I want you to build the walls with one hand, do the work with one hand, and I want you to hold your weapon in the other hand and be ready for the attacks of the enemy. And that's like us. We do the works of the Lord, the service of the Lord, but at the same time, we're holding up the Bible, right? We got the word of God, the sword of God right here with us to defend off the attacks of the enemy and the attacks of the devil. And so Nehemiah was always pointing his people toward God he was always directing his people toward worship he would say hey I know things are tough I know we're dealing with a lot here but this is what we need to do we need to surrender ourselves and humble ourselves before the God of all creation we need to put it in his hands and we need to trust in him and you know what happened they were refreshed, they were inspired, they were strengthened, and they were energized. This world is going to try and beat us down, but my friends, worship in God is going to strengthen us, encourage us, and energize us. You don't need caffeine to do that. You've got the Spirit of God, although caffeine helps a little bit, right? You've got the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God gives you that refreshment that you need in your heart and in your soul. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. You know, worship is an intimate connection, isn't it, between us and God. And when that connection is made, it stirs us, it inspires us, and it energizes us. But I guess a question we could ask is, what is worship? What is that? What does that look like? Well, that word in the Hebrew, it means to bow low. This isn't the typical posture of a 21st century American Christian, now is it? We don't bow down for anybody, right? But that posture and that positioning can have a powerful influence on our lives. Because what we're doing is we are saying in a physical way, we are submitting ourselves under the authority of God and we are willingly surrendering ourselves to his power. He is king, he is God, and he is our creator. We did not create him, he created us, and therefore we willingly serve him. We humble ourselves beneath almighty God. God is God, and I am not. I am a creation. I am a servant. I am here only of his good graces, and I can only do what he allows me to do. And I consider it an honor to lay myself flat on the ground 
and to give him my life. He is God. And that's what it means to worship God. And worshiping God has this amazing impact on our heart, on our mind, and on our spirit. That's what we're going to talk about today. So the first thing that we're going to find out here in verse 2 of chapter 9 in Nehemiah is that worshiping God stirs us to confess our sins. Let's look at verse 2 in Nehemiah chapter 9. Cameron read this, and he said this, The descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Confession of sin. Now, why would we be stirred to confess our sins? Well, because of this. The Spirit of God resides inside you now based upon your confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Your body is now a temple of the Holy Spirit. God desires a cleanly place to reside, does he not? You know, God is not one to reside in filth, muck, and mire. He says, your body is a temple that houses my spirit, and I want a clean place to reside. And he also says, I don't want any impediment between you and me. Listen, you know this from your personal relationships with other human beings. When there's an issue between you, it blocks that relationship, right? There's a lack of trust there. There's an impediment. And God says, I want nothing to come between you and me. I want our relationship. I want all accounts cleared because there is no room for nonsense. Nothing can come. Between you and me, says holy God, which is why I want you to confess your sin. You see, the Israelites were in the position that they were in because they had not confessed their sin. The golden age of Israel was during the reign of King David and King Solomon. Time of great peace. Peace on all sides of the borders. They had time of great prosperity. God was blessing them mightily. And then King Solomon went and worshipped the idols and the gods of his foreign wives. And that brought pain and suffering into the land. It divided the nation. Do you think maybe our nation is divided because of the unconfessed sin that we have? Do you think maybe that if we were to humble ourselves and to confess our sin... And Ken's going to talk more about this in the coming weeks. That God would have favor upon us and that would heal a divided nation? I think unconfessed sin has a lot to do with the division that we have in the breakdown of our nation. And then not only that, not only did their nation divide, after they divided, they were taken captive. God allowed foreign enemies to come in to take them captive. Okay, you've sinned against me. You're not willing to confess it. Okay, have it your way. Have it your way. You know, the sin is the punishment. God doesn't have to do anything bad. All he has to say is, okay, I'm going to let you have your way. I'm stepping back. And the sin is what the punishment is. It's the result of the sin that brings the suffering and the chaos. So now they're taken captive. I ask you a question. What sins do you have in your life that are taking you captive this morning? What are the sins that you have that are binding you up, that are chaining you up and holding you down? What is it? My friends, I want to encourage you, let it go. 
confess it to God and let it go. He is going to take that unconfessed sin and he is going to wash it white as snow. He is just ready and waiting for us to let go of it, to get that burden off our chest and to say, God, please take this from me. I'm tired of being captive. And then the Israelites not only experienced the captivity, but they experienced silence from God. So if you open your Bible, you'll see that the Old Testament closes, the New Testament begins. There was actually 400 years in between there. Those were called the silent years. Okay, silent years, the intertestamental period. During that time, God did not speak to his people. He said, I am going to withhold my voice. I am not going to send you any prophets. Unconfessed sin, you're going to want to make note of this, unconfessed sin mutes the voice of God in our life. It mutes God's voice. God, I can't hear you. God, I'm not, I can't hear you speak. God, I want to hear you. Please speak to me. Confess your sins. Confess your sins, and it opens up God's voice. We can't hear God when we're burdened with sin. And the reason we can't hear God is because sin is heavy. It weighs us down. It takes us captive. <laughs> One of the tasks that I have at my day job is that uh, we get these five-gallon buckets full of paste. And they're heavy. You know, a five-gallon bucket of water is about 40 pounds, right? These five-gallon buckets are about 50, 60 pounds easy. They're full of paste. They're heavy. You take 30 of those and stack them on a pallet, right? And then double stack them and then triple stack them. And you can feel that. Right? You start to feel, you crunch, 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 Whoa. the tendons and the ligaments and the uh, dropping of the pointers. Is that still going to work? Yep. And you feel that and you're like, wow, that's heavy. And then time after time you do that and it's the same with the sin in our life. We carry that around and we struggle with it and we can't do it for very long because what happens is our body begins to waste away. I'm going to point you to some verses here and you can take note of them psalm 32 3 you want to write that down psalm 32 3 listen to this verse and what it does when we we when we don't confess sin it has a serious impact on our physical health it says this when i kept silent about my sin my body wasted away through my groaning all day long when I kept silent about my sin my body wasted away I was carrying around that sin in my heart and it just ate me up you know we have a lot people with very serious physical ailments I'm not saying that this is the case for everyone right we can't control a lot of the stuff that happens to us but we bring a lot of this on ourselves by not confessing our sin. And the Bible says that our body wastes away because we do not confess. Now listen to this verse. Psalm 38, 18. You want to make note of that. 38, 18 Psalm. For I confess my iniquity. I am full of anxiety because 
of my sin. I am full of anxiety because of my sin. Folks, you are living in 2022 in America right now. How many times in the last five, ten years have you heard the word mental illness or mental anguish, right? It's all mental nowadays, right? There's an explosion and an increase in mental illness. Why? Well, I'm not saying this is the case for every situation. But what I am saying is that a lot of that is linked to unconfessed sin. We drive ourselves mad by not releasing the sin that we have in our lives and giving it to God so that he can begin the process of restoration in our minds. Remember, I've always said that the spirit first, how it lives inside our body, but then it, it not only does it help us physically, but it's psychological as well. The psychological healing that God brings through the Holy Spirit, through the confession of sin, cannot be matched by anything else that the world has to offer look at the healing power that confessed sin has psalm 32 5 i acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity i did not hide i said i will confess my transgressions to the lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin you know how it feels to be guilty doesn't it it's a bad feeling isn't it a bad feeling to have that guilty feeling isn't it a relief when you can let go of it? It sure is. It's such a relief. And that's what confessing our sins can do. It can take the relief of the guilt that we have for sin and it can cast it right off of us. So confessing our sins has this healing power on our lives. Now listen, this comes from worshiping God. Turning to God worshiping him and praising him stirs us to this action of wanting to confess our sin you see without the worship of god we are naturally through the flesh and through the power of sin in our lives a stubborn people uh, we are not willingly wanting to humble ourselves uh, we tend to have stubborn tendencies and so it is not a normal action to want to confess your sins, to acknowledge any wrongdoing in your life. Instead, we want to justify it or make an excuse for it, which is one of the telling factors in the life of someone who's truly been changed by the power of Jesus Christ. You know how vitally important it is to your spiritual health, your mental health, and your physical health to not have any impediment between you and God and so when you mess up, wow, one of the first things you want to do is you want to seek forgiveness and you want to say, I'm sorry. You want to apologize because you know what an impact that is going to have on your relationship with God. You cannot have a stable relationship with God if you are a stubborn person. That is one of the biggest things that we have to do in our daily lives is continually seek his face, and humble ourselves to his lordship. You guys hear me preach all the time, almost every week, about living a good Christian life. And the reason I say that 
is not because I'm wanting you to put your trust in your works and what you do. It's because I want you to have a real, authentic, genuine relationship with God. And I want you to feel his power and his work in your life. I have no desire and really no tolerance for fake and false Christianity. And we can put on an act inside these four walls. You know what? It's what we do outside of these four walls that's more important than what we do inside here. What we do outside there is going to determine how God uses us in here, right? It is what we do outside of these four walls. We are not here for lip service. We, re- we want God's power in our lives. I want to feel that power. I want to see his work. I want to have his blessings. Give me your blessings, God. Pour them down upon me. Let me have the strength and the courage to trust in you. Please, Lord. So God says, worship me. Praise me with your holy name. You know, it says this right here. Worshiping God inspires us to praise him. And we sang that song. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Look what Isaiah 6, 3 says. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Yes, it is. You know what the ancient Israelites did? When they had adversity come into their lives, they didn't run to sin. And they didn't blame God. You know what they did? They turned to him and they worshipped him. Now that is countercultural. Because, think about this, hard times come into my life, I'm going to worship God, I'm not going to blame God, I'm going to worship God, I'm going to praise His holy name. What does the culture tell you to do? When hard times come into your life, you need a drink. You need a drink. That's what you need. Oh, you know what? Uh, That financial trouble you're in, the culture might persuade you to be a little deceitful. Maybe to take credit for something that doesn't belong to you. Maybe to cheat a little bit on your taxes. That's what the culture tells you to do. Oh, you know that relationship trouble you're having? Oh, you know that little relationship trouble you're having in your marriage? What you need is a little bit of pornography. That's what you need. You'll get that relationship kick-started again. That's what the culture tells you. What I'm telling you is the culture wants to lead you straight to hell. The culture wants to lead you right into the grip of Satan. The word of God wants to lead you to the good things. He says leave those foreign substances alone. Walk into my love. Leave the pornography alone. Walk into true love. Leave the cheating, deceitfulness, and lying alone. And walk into the embrace of a loving God who can show you a life of good things and good things to come. My friends, we serve a loving God who wants nothing but the best for us. And we will get it. If we put our trust in him and make a commitment to live the type of lives that brings honor and glory to him and puts that big smile right on his face. You want to make God smile? 
make sacrifices in your life. You see, we praise his holy name and we praise his wonderful works. Psalm 111.2 says this, Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in him. You see, you can look at Nehemiah chapter 9, and once you get to right about verse 5 throughout the rest of the chapter, man, the Israelites lay into this prayer where they are just praising God, glorifying his name, and they are just thanking him for all the wonderful things he has done in the past. Thank you for parting the Red Sea. Thank you for leading us out of Egypt. Thank you for freeing us from captivity. Thank you for leading our fathers to the promised land. Thank you for blessing us richly. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We talked about that in Sunday school. Thank you, having a heart of gratitude. Thanking God for everything he's done. Now, last week we focused on what God's going to do for us in the future and the future that we have. But what about right now? What is God doing for us right now? My people, God is providing for all of our needs. Are we not being sustained on a daily basis with everything that we need? Are we forgetting? Have we forgotten? Did you not have the food that you needed? Did you not have a bed that you needed? Did you not have the finances that you needed? Do you not have everything that God knows that you need? Of course you do. God is faithful to provide. He says, consider the lilies. Consider the birds of the air. Do they not have everything they need? They neither toil nor spin. Yet your heavenly Father loves you much more than they. Will he not provide for you as well? You know, a lot of the troubles that we have we bring upon ourselves the financial debt that we're in that's our fault the legal troubles we're in that's our fault the car troubles we have that's gm and ford's fault <laughs> let's go ahead and blame them for that they can own a little bit can't they yeah they can so god inspires us to praise him and praise him we will and then a the final point I want to make here today from Nehemiah 9 is that worshiping God energizes us to covenant with him. Look at what it says here in 938. That's a, near the end of chapter 9 there. So they've praised him, they've worshiped him, they've thanked him for the things he's done in the past. And then look what they say here. This right here blew me away when I read this. Verse 38, chapter 9 of Nehemiah. Now because of all this, we are making an agreement in writing. And on a sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. Worshiping God energizes us to want to make a covenant with him. And it says here they put it in writing. Why would they put that in writing? Because they're looking for accountability. They're saying here it is where the rubber meets the road, we are going to put pen to paper and we are going to hold ourselves to this covenant, covenant, this agreement. That word agreement, covenant, also is the feminine form of amen, which means it is as it is said. It is, let it be done. Let it be as it is. Amen. An agreement, a covenant with God. And that's what worshiping God leads us to. It says, you know what? 
I want to sign the contract. I want to make the deal. I am all in. Give it to me, God. Where do I sign John Hancock on that bad boy, right? Boom, 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 boom. I want it, God. Give it to me. Look what it says there in 2 Chronicles 15, 12. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and all their soul. You know, we have entered into a covenant ourselves. We had entered into a covenant of salvation with the Lord. Acts 16, 31 says this. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. This was the story of the Philippian jailer. He was in a time of adversity. There was an earthquake. All of the prisoners began to leave. And he knew that when his boss found out what happened, that he let all the prisoners escape, he was going to, he might as well just be dead. So he was getting ready to take his own life. And Paul said, no, stop. Don't do that. All the prisoners are here. And it took that moment. It took him at the moment of committing suicide to turn to the Lord do you see the compassion that God has and the mercy that God has and he said sirs what must I do to be saved believe in the Lord Jesus you and your household believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved you and I have entered into a covenant with God through his son Jesus Christ he said, my people need forgiveness, but they need, they are incapable of reaching that themselves. They need something. I need to give them something in order to wipe away their sins. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to the cross to die for our sins. And that blood that pours out of the body of Jesus Christ is able to cleanse the sins of the whole world. But in order to do that, we must enter into a covenant with God and we enter into this covenant through faith and you know what he does he writes your name in the Lamb's book of life you know we talk about praising the holy name of God but it's your name that is special to God he has given you the name that people call you he knew what that name was going to be before he formed you in the womb he calls you by name he knows you by name he knows every intimate detail about your life. And he says, yes, I want to enter into a covenant with you. I want a lasting, permanent relationship with you. And that's why I've given my son Christ. So that you can have faith in him, believe upon him. And only through him can you come to me. There was a, uh, somebody had mentioned this earlier the chariots of fire you probably remember that movie it was back in the early 80s eric lydell right he was a fantastic uh world-renowned sprinter this took place back in the 20s and he was competing for a spot on the olympic team but he had very serious convictions and he said well i'm not going to race on sundays that's my sabbath day of rest to the lord and his religious convictions would not allow him to race on sunday and he stood his ground and so he only entered into those races that were held on weekdays. The race that was held on a Sunday was actually his special race, the race that he'd been training for and was really good at. But he stood by his convictions, 
and he raced the other races on the during the week and he ended up finishing very highly and I think he won those races if I'm not mistaken but the point being is that he entered into a covenant with the Lord he said I'm going to remain faithful and true and you know what he did he didn't say oh but the race I'm going to the one I've been training for on Sunday boy really I should probably try and uh, justify running that race he didn't do that he said you know what I'm going to stick with my agreement I'm going to put my trust in you, and I'm going to run this other race. And the Lord blessed him. Why did the Lord bless him in something he didn't train for? Because he honored his covenant with God. You honor your covenant with God first, and God will do things in your life that you didn't train for, that you didn't prepare for, but that he will bring you to. Because he is that kind of God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Sunday message by Pastor Nick Stringer at Creekside Church in Brookville, Indiana. For more information, you can go to www.creekside-church.org and find us on the website. Once again, you've been listening to the Sunday message with Pastor Nick Stringer.